a mantra that my mom's always saying. She she says it even up until like Thanksgiving when she's making her dishes. And I think that um, she had made some pie or something and she was giving it to my nephew. And she was like, you don't want to get this store-bought. You got to make your own. Make your own. She's always like, make your own because we grew up in a spot where we had to make our own. Hi, I'm Soul Ogun. I am one half of Los Chanter and I specialize in metalworking. And other things. <laughs> Among other things. And rocks. <laughs> and stones. Okay, my turn. Hi, I'm Dynasty Ogun, one half of Les Chanteurs. I am a master builder. I work in the textile field. Textile and all things L.E. I can't exactly remember how I met Soul and Dynasty, but I can say that my life has been incredibly different since I met them. If I had to describe Soul and Dynasty, I would of course first begin by acknowledging the fact that they are two Leo twins. I say that to say that I love astrology, but I also think that they imbue all of the great traits about Leos. They are bold, they are kind, they are generous, and they're full of love. But I have never met a pair of twins that are more different. They are identical, they are in sync, but they're also so full of multitudes. Dynasty and Soul grew up in an Afro-Caribbean household in the heart of Brooklyn, with a mother from Dominica and a father from Nigeria. In their work, they cite the past, get inspiration from their ancestral bloodline, and make it their own. In fact, Soul and Dynasty have been making their own everything ever since they were young. And their enterprising spirit has led them to a point where they are not only designing for themselves, but also running the manufacturing and creating a standard that is all their own. Les Chanteurs, or LE, is a creative incubator inspired by the sciences, color theory, numerology, religion, mythologies, magic, and fairy tales. And at the center of it all are twin designers, Soul and Dynasty Ogun. Welcome to Your Attention, Please, the companion podcast to the Hulu series of the same name that introduces us to present-day makers of Black history, I'm Kimberly Drew, curator, writer, and co-editor of the anthology Black Futures. Today's guests are my dear friends and fellow members of the Leo gang, Soul and Dynasty Ogun. Our sisterhood is a deep connection, so it allows us to work in synchronicity. In synchronicity. Hello, friends. Hi. Hi. A very official podcast welcome. Hey. Hi. So let's start from the start, because we're coming together for your attention, please. You all worked along with Hulu to make this beautiful segment. Can you tell me about 
making the segment and what that journey of creation was like. It was just an email that came through, like, hey, we're doing your attention, please. I, I, I had stumbled on it, but I never actually watched the show. So I started saying, I was like, oh, oh I'm on it. So then we watched it. It was like, oh, this is really, really cool and exciting. And, you know, it's just a beautiful way of also just storytelling, which is what, you know, one of the main things that we're about. And um, we jumped on a call with the producer and a few other people. And we just started to, like, they were drawing kind of, like, what, I guess our energy was about what our story was about, and they were kind of gathering information. Everything was seamless, to be honest. Like the whole journey right. was really seamless. Then we met with Day Day, and Day Day, or what they proposed, what we were going to like do during the segment. That was beautiful too. Day Day had this really beautiful vision of the the way that they wanted to capture us, whether it's like, you know, it was very Africana and very like Black American. You know, there's a cross between all those things because I think the beauty and the feel of it tapped into other things. It was Black American, but it also resonated with early images of my dad with his in, in Nigeria with his Maybe friends. Me and my mom. And like me and my mom around that time about the cross-pollination and just kind of like the outfits and the colorways were, it, it gave me a lot of things. It was kind of broad. So I think it was just very beautifully done and seamless all the way through. Can you tell me about the pictures that you're you're talking about in terms of family images? What like what were some of the similarities? Tell me about those images. When I th- when I think about like my dad with his friends and they're like posed up and they all look sharp and they all look beautiful and they kind of just stand there and you're like, "Oh, what are they doing? Like what were they doing at that time? Like what were they, they talking about?" They might have just been like k- at each other's house. I know kicking it and it just and, you know and then I and you know it relates to like when we have like things at our place once upon a time and it's this family renaissance thing because those are the images that live in your house, you know? And sometimes even though they're not necessarily like a famed picture in the house, you know that that's a famed picture in the house. Like, oh, that's that picture with daddy and uncle Nee and, you know, his friends or whatnot. So it kind of captured that same almost imagery. So like I can see like the 60s and 70s when my parents were prominent and young and not necessarily in their prime, but they were like discovering themselves between each other, and then we come along in the 80s. So I think that it was like, you know, the coming together and the product of that. Because it seemed like they weren't connected, but there was this thread, which I love to use that term because a thread just can go a long way, even if they're pictures that seem random. So there's an image when Nana's laying and she's pregnant and she's about to give birth to this new life. And I think that that's a lot of what we do when we put into our work. And then that first opening image where she's holding right. the globe and this giving birth exactly. to, you know what I mean, his exactly. mother. And then you have these people, what I would call it now is a slang, we'd be like, that's a scene. They probably was in the scene, whatever scene that would have been. You know, at the time it could have been like the funky scene, the disco scene. The, the you know the black power scene the 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 first gen, the first people who come into America trying to you know form family ties scene you know things like that trying to discover this new land scene because these are also people coming into new worlds and then you're creating new worlds in the new world that you landed in so this so nonlinear much that's the word, birth that's being the, given nonlinear right nonlinear timelines but they all you know it, it, it it's kind of like what we're into like kind of pulling from these different timelines to tell this story that's happening all at once, even though it seems to be happening in different timelines. Tapping into different threads of the timeline and then looping them in, like, you know, like a spider web or weaving something, you know, into a a tapestry. I love this imagery of weaving or tapestries and how the past and lineages inform your work. 
Now, I know that you shorten your last name to Ogun. Can you tell me who Ogun is and why they're so important to you? Oh, well, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll go. That's why my hands up. Always been Ogun. Right. But who Ogun is? Oh, wait, 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 because it's about it. finding. I, I, I put my hand up. Sorry you didn't see it. You should have been looking. I didn't see you put your hand up. Well, no, I put my hand up. Did you see me put my <laughs> hand up? You just went first last time, so it's my right, turn. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. All right, go ahead. I know I was just about to say it. Okay, so Ogun... <laughs> Is many things. And then Ogun is also... It's not just who, it's what. What, who, everything. Entity, you know what I mean? It's energy. So Ogun is a Yoruba Orisha. And our father is Yoruba. There's about probably like five different tribes within the Nigerian sector. And then Yoruba is one of them. There's so many more. There's so many more. The main, main, the majors, right? Ogun is um, Batala. So um, Ogun is the god of metal, god of metal, iron, and there's many things that attribute to that. So, makes tools for war, for building bridges. Introduce iron to humanity. Right, and introduce iron to um, um, iron making. Yeah, iron making. Iron making, and also what I've been researching lately because somebody gave me a book on Yoruba plants and herbs. Like literally in the last month, Ogun is also a gardener. So Ogun is always in the forest and the machete, mm-hmm. one aspect is like, I Cut use the machete, hold on, but one of the aspects is I use the machete for war. But the other aspect is I actually use the machete to cut down herbs and I'm an herbalist. You know, I'm a healer at the same time. So you have these two... A shaman. Right, a shaman. So you have these two aspects, which is kind of like war and healing, which is like one, you know, it could be one and the same. So that's Ogun. What Dynasty said also is like, we've always been Ogun. But before then, we were like, we were, our last name is Ogun Moyen. So that's where a lineage of, direct lineage of Ogun, so to speak. So there's there's a lot of Oguns and there's only one sect of Ogun Moyen. So if anyone has Ogun Moyen, we know that we are related to them. That's our family. Like, and not even that distant. It's just that's how, who our family is. And then it's like Oguns. Ogun something, Ogun something, Ogun something. And we always were in the household that we were Nigerians. And Dynasty and I are twins. And that's also another, like, is a Beji. And that's another Orisha another. in the in the Pantheon. So that's another Orisha. And they come as twins. And they come as, like, you know, the yin and the yang and the balance energy. And Nigeria actually produces the most twins in the world, Snapple fact. So that's this whole other aspect of it. So we grew up in a house where our dad was always talking about being a beige, y'all twins, y'all unique, y'all had to bring gifts, oh, this is my gift to the world, et cetera, et cetera. And so we, and my dad is, you know, he's very Nigerian. He has an accent to this day. And he's, he has a thick accent to this day. And he's been here for over 40 years. So he's Nigerian to the core. And also, I'm going to pull back again, because also our dad, is, in terms of, see, the thing about, the concept of Oguno Gusarisha, there's 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 also spiritual religious ties to it. And my father practiced religiously Christianity. So when we were growing up, we grew up knowing that we were Ogun Moyen and Ogun. But I didn't know anything about really Ogun. I didn't really discover it in the concept of Ogun in my household. I just knew that that's what I was. I didn't get into Ogun until I was working at the OTB and one of my managers who practiced the Orisha and and the practice and was with practicing Yoruba, she pulled me one day to the desk at work and was like, do you know who you are? And I was like, um... I'm Dynasty from Brooklyn. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And and then she she starts to go in, like, in the office, like, telling me about Ogun, telling me about these things, and it was, like, really overwhelming. And I remember coming home to my father, like, um... 
Daddy, who's all gone? Da, 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 da. And he was like, ah. Right. You know, because that's what he grew up with. So, you know, like. Well, actually, so, this is also, it, it, to add to it, that's also this other kind of, um, not only assimilation, but you see how the 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 the, 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 the original spiritual connections that a lot of, like, different types of African tribes, you know what I mean, especially in Nigeria, are separated and they brought Christianity. So, as Dynasty said, we grew up learning about Christianity. Uh-huh. We grew up culturally. Culturally, it was about the Ogun, Nigerian experience, the, the Afro-Caribbean uh-huh. experience in the household. And then there was this other thing, because like then there was like this Christian side, because my father is like reading from the Bible and quoting Psalms, which actually I use to this day because they also carry messages. <laughs> so it's, it's it's coming back full circle to that. So we grew up very. It was again. It was uh, interesting. Like, very very layered. Very layered. Seemed very random. And again, part of this tapestry that was actually like what you know what we were gonna be born into because we actually. It's like bringing back gifts. We brought back gifts to our parents. Like, Daddy, this is what this is Ogun. So even added to bringing back the gift, growing up, our father, like Dynasty said, didn't really mention too much of like Ogun and the properties and and what they study. Even though our dad is a, a you know studied engineering also, which kind of deals with like a little bit of fire and a little bit of metals. When so I'd gone to a botanica and um I you know they have the Orishas there and I saw a book that said Ogun and I'm like what so I remember getting the book and reading about it and it's like a little book and I'm just reading about it and similarly with Dynasty I go and talk to my dad about like who's Ogun like that's our name and he's just like you know that's he's like oh it's a it's a Yoruba Orisha he didn't I don't think he said Orisha he just said like it's Yoruba. It's a god and it'll be like little random things it's a god it's a god right. like not a god of what or whatnot and then. Funny enough, when I started making jewelry, I then went back to my dad and was like, oh, Ogun is like the god of metal. Like, you know, you ain't say this. He's like, oh, I knew you kind of get into it, blah, 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 blah. You know what I'm saying? And our father is, a, you know, scientist, like very science. Um, and, and that's kind of what I, I, I saw him as growing up. You know what I'm saying? And that's also where he took to. Fast forward to maybe like, you know, not that long ago, I'm, he calls me and I'm like banging on something. And he's like, wow, that sound brought me back to when I was younger. And I'm like, oh, what do you mean? He's like, well, we grew up because we're Ogun and Ogumoy, and we grew up making metal pieces. And I'm like, oh, that's news to me. I didn't actually really even know that that's what you did like, as a kid. And I'm like, so I went through all this and you could have gave me some like lessons on metalsmithing because his trade back then was metalsmithing. So that's that but full it's like, circle. It's like yeah. when you just said that, when you said that's funny, this is so random, mm-hmm. but it comes together. When you think of like um, The Last Dragon, when his, his sensei gives him, or who he's calling his master, but it's really his sensei is giving him, he gives him this pendant, he goes searching for it, and he finds out it's just a belt buckle, and he laughs at him. He said, a master holds this up with, holds this up in his pants. You're looking for something outside of yourself and it's been within you this whole time. So even all these times when I was going back to my parents or going back to my dad, like, who's Ogun? Who's Ogun? It was really about me fight, figuring out for myself and not asking who, who Ogun is, but showing him and telling him, like, or not saying, like, well, now I know, but but embodying in it. And then they, then he sees what it is because he's already known that as well. So it reminds me of things like that because our parents are like our senseis and they send us out into the world. And even though we want some things from them, there's things that we just need to discover on our own. I feel like that's like the perfect metaphor for what it means to be black as well where it's like mm-hmm. it's already fact. this thing it's already this fact <laughs> all right this is the end of, this is the end of the, the podcast right. and, and, then, right. and there's so many ways yeah. that you could be like so what is it like to design as a black person but actually it's like 
it's already happening and it's already going to be a part of this journey. It's not just this like cut and dry separate thing. You know, one day you wake up and now you're a black designer. It's like, no, I've always been this person. And there's a way that our environments will continue to inform us. And of course, our racialized right. identity will continue to signal to ourselves and to others who we are, what we're about and all these other things. But some things like just have to manifest themselves naturally, which it sounds like was happening for your for y'all and your family dynamic. And I wonder if maybe you could talk about not necessarily what are some of the things that inform you, but maybe what is some of like, if you had to pull things together to build what you've built, like what were some, what are some of the elements that you think are really key for anyone who doesn't know you to know? Thanks. Right. like, me. Because <laughs> I'm like, right, go ahead. because one thing I'll get, I get made fun about is I'm nostalgic. It's, I'm really nostalgic. So when I talk about old movies all the time and, and it's a gift and it could be, you know, a burden a little bit, but well, and, and I think that it's being aware of the fact that, you know, how you were inf- informed as a child is, 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 is how you move as an adult. So we spend a lot of time healing old things. But at the same time, we should explore them and embrace them and celebrate them. Because I think that my childhood was mad fun. And I think being nostalgic really, it it really helps me create the world that I always wanted to live in. And And when I say fun, I mean like even things that aren't so comfortable, exploring deeper parts of yourself, things that you've hidden, those things, you can make them into something that's beautiful. You know what I'm saying? So where is your nostalgia rooted? We definitely are rooted in our like lineage or have become even more rooted in our lineage. I think definitely the older I get or the more informed that I get with who I am and becoming and really celebrating that because there is this nostalgia also. I personally, I'm not going to speak for Dynasty, rejected some of my culture because it was being made fun of all the act of assimilation. So I think the more I, like, I and Dynasty grounded into like who we are, where we're from, the fact that we're multicultural, that the fact that our household is very Afro-Caribbean. And even now, like I'm 30 years old and I remember my mom used to blast Calypso and blast that stuff. And we were like, close the door and put like, you know, with not one of some hip hop, put some hip hop on, like, oh, throw it, it. You know what I mean? Or Z100, whatever it was. Or even like, even Z100. Z100. Oh. Making my way. They're like, I would prefer Elvis Duran too. <laughs> right. In the Z morning, in the Z morning zoo, boo. I'm trying to get them jingle bowl tickets. I'm trying to, right. And also, I'm trying to like blend in with like my American friends, so mm-hmm. to speak. And mm-hmm. also, the joke was that everyone probably was coming, was like first generation. And we all didn't know, and we were all trying to blend in. So that was one thing. We were all However, right. But the thing is, is that I'm out here. And, and that's the trick. That's the trick. But, and the thing is, I think that is like the stem of it because that is where. I would say I'd get, you know, my inspiration. Like, I'm thinking about um, the things that, you know, Dynasty brought up. We were creating stuff, like, really, really young, and it was, like, because of the lack of. So Dynasty and I wanted a guitar. We literally took a shoebox, rubber bands, the bounty, cut a hole, hole and made guitars. Like, you know, and it was because we Like, you want to play Wheel of Fortune? Get a bike. (laughs) Get a bike. And uh, no, get a bike with a wheel. And throw something on it and spin the right. Wheel. So the thing, so it, it was, was it was ex, there was an excitement in it because we had to think outside of actually getting that device or like creating it, like or cre- the conditions, the conditions that were presented for creating us, right. outside of the condition on us. 
essentially that is that you're born into. We weren't even thinking how to. It was just the do. And th- that comes in at, with the creativity and the alchemy because alchemy is like about the doing and the movement of what's what's happening. And, and you know, it's interesting because you talk about the cyclical nature of time. But I also think for this storytelling project, if you could tell me a bit about the beginnings, or let's say the beginnings of the business, because it sounds like there's so many ways that your practice started literally from kind of the time y'all were born. But when you decided to make it into a business, tell me about that inception point. So uh, our inception for our company, or the brand, so to speak, began when Dynasty actually started her own brand, right? So Dynasty had her own design clothing brand before I was starting like jewelry. So Dynasty kind of initiated having like a brand and um, she would have shows. It was called Brise. It was amazing. It was like this like, you know, Afrofuturistic back in like the early 2000s. She was designing, like making like really, really into denim, doing like a lot of denim stuff and, you know, and she had her first show and I made these like little brooch gifts because we grew up going to like different you know, birthday parties and you always leave with like a souvenir. So I made these like brooches out of like um, these Dogon mask things, glued it together. And it was like, you know, kind of a hit. And it went along with Dynasty Show. It was kind of hit. So we always been working together anyway because I was styling. I was her stylist. I was the stylist of Dynasty's brand. So that was already like a, a you know, it was all symbi- symbiotic anyway. Then Dynasty was making denim and doing like a lot of like like really like pants queen and was making all these denims for like these early like musicians that we had been kicking it with like Jesse Boinkins and all these different dudes and they were in South Africa and a gentleman from a, a, um, a trade show Joey from Berlin Joey from Berlin Joey. saw these pants that Jesse had on and then hit Dynasty up like in this email and was like I was wondering if you'd be interested in doing a trade show in Berlin and I'd been doing I had started making jewelry so I had a, a, a jewelry brand called Alchemy 9 and we kind of it was symbiotic it's like you know Dynasty would make the clothes and we put the jewelry on it but it wasn't yet um, La Chantier yet it was like the birthing of La Chantier and Dynasty hit me up and was like, we need to merge the brands like today because we're going to go there together as this one brand. Because I responded to him like, I responded to him like fronting because he was like, yeah, you know, I love your work. I want, I would like to invite you to Germany or whatever. And I was like, wow, this is, this is crazy. It's random. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. You know, it's crazy because my sister and I, we just merged our brands together. We have one brand now. So we're both going to come. And he was like, I bet. And I was like, let me show you the work. And he's like, we got to merge the brand. We have to merge the brand like yesterday. Today. And we got to merge the brand. We we need a name. (laughs) And what's the name for it? So the name kind of, the name was inspired by enchanting things, bringing life into things that are essentially inanimate. We were like, oh, we, we're, we're enchanters. We are about like enchanting objects and bringing life to it and making it... And we just bring life to the scene. Bring life to the scene, but bringing life to the to this to this object that essentially is going to, you know, re- reflect with somebody and create this whole interaction with whoever's wearing it, right? Now, the reason why we chose Le Chantier in this French word is that our mother speaks like Patois Creole French. So we were like, oh, this would be a, a cool thing to do a language that my mother doesn't speak that often. Like we kind of, we grew up hearing my dad speaking Yoruba a lot. But the only time we really got to experience my mother speaking French is when she was with her sister. So that was just kind of this other thing, like, oh, mommy speaks French. So let's just throw in French in there. You know what I mean? Bong. Mm-hmm. So we have Le Chantier. Dynasty and I go out there with like 
$5. Like, we fly. This is our first time actually flying out the country. <laughs> so we go to Berlin with, like, no money, like, just money to come back home. We And, you know, now, the, and this is a euro. So whatever $30 we have is now, like, $10 euro, right? So then we had to, like... So we never been to a trade show before also. So we, again, had to, like, make it up. So we went to this thrift store and bought, like, the things that we could with the money that we had. So when we get there, literally, I think at the time I was, like, working on these rings. So I had, like, three rings and two bracelets and maybe, like, two necklaces. And that was it. There was, like, no tea. We had, like, four cut and sew pieces, right? <laughs> we had four cut and sew pieces, and then we like hung them up in different places to kind of make space. <laughs> right. Right. I was, I never seen anything like that. It was like Levi's was like Fifth in the Avenue. It was, Fifth, it was, wait, it was, it was bigger brands, but in Berlin. Yes. This, it was called, it's called, it's, it's the biggest trade show in Europe. It's called Bread and Butter. They were building out stuff that I know, like they were building, like, you know, like it's the trade show. So, you know, when the trade shows, it's for like three, four days. So they're just building, you know, what's going to be presented. But they were building stores. Me and So had like, Eight pieces between us, clothing and jewelry, and they had stores in there. But we also was just kind of like, all right, we're gonna make this work. We was going with the flow. No, this one, this, but what I was saying was like, wow, this is interesting. Like, we didn't have any, a lot of pieces, but what we did have was this story telling. And there were people just coming to visit us, like, we'd never seen anything like this in our entire life. It was like, wow, you know, we was getting a lot of like amazing feedback in the way in which we were telling the story, even though there weren't as many pieces there yet to showcase that. It gave us more intel. It gave us more intelligence on kind of what we we're doing, our information, our technique and whatnot. And then using like our, our born skills intertwined with that, it, 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 it's the journey here. So all of that, again, it's like to look back at that story. It's like our first opportunity to do a trade show was like in Berlin, um, Germany, like, you know, someplace that we haven't left the country yet. And it was just like, a, it really propelled us into being out there into the world and what that could look like. Love that. I mean, I just love the idea of how traveling so far away from home can really be a tool for helping us find our way back to ourselves. I wonder, as just an exercise, if each of you could pick one thing you've made and tell me the story behind it. While you think of one, let me, let me, I'll do one real quick while you think of one, because I'll think about like a lot of my first pieces, but one piece that really was like a, 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 a thing was I think when I first did a long bill hat, it was like, uh, it was made out of burlap. Again, nostalgia brought me to that place. I was working at the OTB in the city and I happened to be walking past this store and I saw a long bill. And I was like, yo, I've never seen a long bill in my life except in The Sandlot, that movie, right? About the kids and the geek. And I was like, I would love to make a long bill hat on my own. So I took that hat and I couldn't make hats yet because I didn't know any um, manufacturers, I was just putting embroidery onto the hat of our logo, of, or actually of 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 an unk at the time. That was my logo. And um, I met this guy who was from Jersey named Pan, and he was like, oh, I know a hat manufacturer. And I was like, really? But he's from Jersey, and it was a hat manufacturer in Jersey. He took me to him. His name was Ruby. And I'd never seen manufacturing like that ever, like in the like, ever. So I was like, wow. Like, they had a whole bunch of hats, different things. It was like, you could bring your own fabric. We'll make you um, a sample. And I was like, okay, cool. So I make my first two samples, give them my guap. And it it, it, it propelled me to, to, to hat millery. And I'd never seen anything like that before. And I still have that hat to this day. And I made that hat, like, at least, I could say, 12 years ago. And that was one of my first manufactured 
pieces that I did on my own. I brought in my own fabric. I had my own design concept. And I started learning from the mistakes of manufacturers. So it taught me so many lessons in that one hat, how to do things on a large scale, how to create for my own patterns, designs, and also the mistakes that get made that kind of goes over your head as somebody who's buying from a manufacturer and then manufacturing yourself. So quality control. Damn, I'm really still trying to think about something that I made. I was, I'm going to throw something out there for okay, you. Okay, please. Um... Because you've made them mad times and they're always coming up. But the the stacks, the stack rings. What's on that square one? And they started off really small. The square with the circle in it? Yes. Okay, that's actually a good one because that ring is the one that one we brought to Berlin. And then also, I remember making that ring and feeling like I created the next thing. I was like, Tiffany's is going to want this shit. <laughs> like, I'm... <laughs> I was like, Tiffany, I remember because it was like real, like, you know, it was very, very, very simple. It was like literally square. It was a square ring, but I was like, no one's wearing a square ring. Everybody wears a round ring. Like, this is a square ring. You can stack it up. I'm going to do it in silver, fine jewelry. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, this is, this is it. Like, this is going to get me seen by Tiffany's. Tiffany's going to want to pull me on board to be like the head designer. Like, you know, I'm thinking about all this stuff, which is for real, because... You know, I was I was self-teaching, so it was a lot of mistakes. But this thing was just solid. It was just like a solid ring. Nothing could happen to it. Like, you know, if we want, we could add, like, stones. I wasn't even actually thinking about adding stones then. It was just literally, I made a brass one, and then I made a couple of silver ones. And at the time, didn't really have a lot of money, so making the silver ones, like, expensive. Like, Tiffany's is going to pick this up. Like, <laughs> I keep seeing Tiffany's because that was what was in my head. I was like, this is very <laughs> Tiffany's. It's like, when you stack them all together, there's three of them. They look so sharp. They look so sleek. It was just, it also gave me so much confidence when I made the piece because I, because I was thinking, like, I could work for this big jewelry house that's been around in New York City. It's a staple. Mm-hmm. Like, we on because of this ring. Now, right. that ring has since evolved many times. And then you know what I could say is that that ring is LE. It's LE, right? So like that's so it became that's like the standard it now. became like a, this evolution of what it was. It was like really the alchemy of it. So that ring is something that does always stand out because it's something that is. I started making jewelry ten years ago, so it it, it existed from Alchemy Nine to La Chanteur. So it's it's the same thing we're talking about again. This this thread now, like it's a ring that still exists in our collection to this day. Maybe it is about it being, not even maybe, like to me now, it's like, oh, it's in a luxury house. Before I was thinking like mm-hmm. Tiffany's, but I didn't even know that the time that, you know, Le Chantier would exist. So it's existing exactly where it needs to exist now. I love that. Last season we had on our dear friends Coco and Breezy. Okay. Hey. You know, Cindy. the Leo gang just, <laughs> the Leo, Leo gang just baby. continues. Leo um, and the blossom. there's something so interesting in hearing you talk about goals and orientation and thinking about how your wares can arrive, reside, and be the standards for a luxury house. What what would you say now, when you say like the LE standard, can you describe either what items fall into that standard or how you define that standard? So going, I'm just going to use the hat as an example. And the reason why it's like so, so small, because we make so many different things and we are a design incubator. So it, it I, w- I was making jeans for many, many, many people before I made my first hat, right? But when I made my first hat, 
you know what I'm saying, making jeans was different because I had, I grew up around like West Indian cats who were tailors and stuff. So it was easy to just be like, yo, Cutty. Like he was one of my first tailors and he was one of my first sample makers. And I would go to him like, I can make this. And also I had seen my mother making clothes. So that was something that wasn't too far off. But coming to a place where I see, I, I, I used to dream about machines and then to see them and to see that, you know, I can put my logo on something and seeing it being created. There's this inner lining of self-confidence that starts to brew into you when you're, when you're talking about making your own and creating your own. That's why we like to pull from different aspects of civilizations or entities or peoples who created their own. So bringing it back to the LE standard is really about like that power in creating your own and knowing how to make something for yourself and then share it with others. Because there's a lot of people who don't know how to do things on their own. And... You know, it's like we're in a microwave culture. So, like, you want something really quick, you buy it. But then I'm like, well, this hat going to take me, let's say, two weeks to make. But after it's done, it's something that I created. I saw it from the fabric sense or I, I, I had it loomed, you know, from, from, the, from the actual fabric being weaved together. That's something that's very, very important to me because it, I'm very controlling. So it means that my hand is in it, you know what I'm saying, from the beginning to the end of the process. So the LE standard is really, uh, uh, I can't it's, I can't describe it because it's sometimes it's immeasurable because sometimes we'll go to another place in our work and I'm like, damn, this was dope. So we kind of broke that world of what we thought the standard was. And I think going back to like when Soul's talking about the stacks, when she keeps talking about like Tiffany's is going to see me, you know, like thinking about that. But now it's like, I'm L.E. It's like the the L.E. is like the Batman sign in the air. That's what you see. You're not even really... I see really myself. to be seen by Tiffany. That's the L-E. I see myself. That's the L.E. standard. Like, I see myself. I, I see, see myself. myself. And, and then I see myself... And I see myself in others. Right. So now it relates. So now, like, Tiffany is not just like, oh, they're going to bring me on. It's like, they want to do a collaboration with L.E. I've never seen black women manufacture anywhere. I go in spaces. They just... They, you know, they work for them, but they don't own it. You know what I'm saying? And that's where I see us... At, you know ownership. what I'm saying? That's the OE standard. Self own, ownership. Ownership of everything. Then when you walk into manufacturing, it's not like, oh, we get a manufacturer here and in, in, in New York and LA. It's like our peoples come to us for manufacturing. They get their pieces made from us as well. See what I'm saying? So that's, I don't know, the LE standard. The LE standard. Mm-hmm. I'm here for it. I'm here for these different levels of ownership where the adorning process allows us to own ourselves where the manufacturing process allows us to own and yeah it just can go up from there so i think this is a perfect time to switch it over we have some questions from hulu subscribers for you our first subscriber question is from joe in california joe asks why is style important to you Fashion over style. <laughs> no, style and fat. I know fashion over style, man. Fashion, right. Because fashion. Um, fashion is like the, the house of it. And style is important. I think we grew up in a, like my mom is stylish. And she, and, and her style also came from her creativity because she made her clothes or she can make her clothes or like colors and things like that. And her grand, and her mother, our grandmother, also made like the, the um, carnival uniforms and the outfits. So style is just always in sync 
in that level. Like style is also a way of expressing ourselves. It's a way of expressing like where I'm at in my life. You know what I mean? The type of style. I think my style in terms of within fashion always transforms. It's like, it's always transforming because I'm always finding this other aspect of myself. It's like the way that I walk through the world. It's what I like to put on. I like different types of style, very of its own. Like, and I, like I love dynasty style because to me it's, it's very of its own. It's very unique. It's very, um, it's very captivating and style is history as well it's like when you see periods of time you reference quote-unquote the fashions that they had during that time and that kind of lets you know the time period that's going on our next question is from brianna in illinois when did you know there was a need for your work in the fashion industry i mean well okay i can tell you when I walked into H&M and I would only go into the men's department because I couldn't find anything in the women's department. And I had to wear men's clothes, even though I didn't want to dress like that because men's clothing is for specific body types. I would get sketchbooks and um, sketch out my outfits. You know what I'm saying? Like, but but from buying them in stores, so I'm like, right, I'm going to wear this hat. Boom, boom, boom. I got these. I remember Sevens was popping, these seven jeans or whatever was popping at the time. And I would sketch it out and I would go look for that and then try to put it together my own way and then, you know, do these small things. So I think that I knew it when I couldn't, you know, of course you can't, you couldn't necessarily find it. And it always goes back, you know, to making your own. So that's what it started as. Like, it was really about like, I didn't necessarily think that the fashion industry was in the need for something. I just felt like I needed something, you know, I felt like I needed to solve, a, solve, solve something for myself at first. If you have a question for one of the makers featured on this season of Your Attention, Please, we want to hear from you. Leave us a voicemail at 504-475-4858 for a chance to have your question featured on an upcoming episode of the podcast. Thank you both so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having us. For this incredible education. And it was almost like class. I know it was really, it really was like the most education. And I feel like our listeners are going to get so much. What did I tell y'all? This is what happens when you get not one, not two, but three Leos in one Zoom room. Okay. Pure chaos magic. Scarlet witches. It went down. And I am so honored, truly, 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 that Soul and Dynasty took the time to invite us into their workshop, into their home space, and along on their journey. If you enjoyed this conversation, don't you worry. We've got so much more to come. We'll be talking to all of the makers from season two of Your Attention, Please, on this podcast. So if you haven't already, watch the show now streaming on Hulu. The episodes are also available for free on Hulu's YouTube channel. And of course, if you have a question for any of our guests that you want to ask, leave us a voicemail at 504-475-4858. So be sure to subscribe, leave us a rating, write a review, forward it to your cousin. It'll help more people find this show. Episodes are available literally anywhere and everywhere that podcasts are found, and also right within the Hulu platform. 
Don't be afraid to find what you love, share it with the world, and scream from the mountaintop, your attention, please. Your Attention, Please, the podcast is a production of Hulu and Pineapple Street Studios. Our executive producers are Jenna Weiss-Berman, Max Linsky, J.N. Barry, and Barry Finkel. Our lead producer is Sophia Steinert-Evoy, and our associate producer is Brianna Garrett. The Your Attention, Please theme song is composed by Teddy Walton. Our show is engineered by Davey Sumner. And of course, I'm your host, Kimberly Drew. You can find me on social media at at Museum Mammy. That's all for this week, but we'll be back next Tuesday with more Black excellence. 